Bullshit. The No BS Show is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash no BS. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. It's the No BS Marketing Show. I'm Dave Mastovich. Our guest today is Rick Irwin. But first, let's hit the bullseye. During my No BS Marketing workshops for C-suite leaders, we spend a lot of time on segmentation. I appreciate the desire of senior leaders to want to learn how they can segment better. It seems regardless of level in an organization or job responsibilities, many people barely scratch the surface as to leveraging the power of segmentation. It made me wonder why that's the case. The Mass Solutions team continually digs for research, white papers, blogs, speaker talks, and anything else we can find to help our client and loyal no BSers like you, our listeners. In doing so, we've come across what might be the introduction to segmentation. The date might surprise you. In March of 1964, an article in the Harvard Business Review by Daniel Yankelovich, owner of Viewpoint, a market research firm, talked about the need to master the vast amount of information resulting from the information revolution. Imagine that. He describes the information revolution of 1964, which I'm sure was big to that point, but probably not as big as the information revolution of the past 20 years. Yankelovich writes this. In this article, I shall propose such a method. It is called segmentation analysis. It's based on the proposition that once you discover the most useful ways of segmenting a market, you have produced the beginnings of a sound marketing strategy. He goes on to say that segmentation is developed out of some key premises that still ring true more than 50 years later. Listen to these and see if they don't still apply. These are from Yankelovich's article of 1964. In today's economy, each brand appears to sell effectively to only certain segments of any market and not to the whole market. Second bullet, sound marketing objectives depend on knowledge of how segments which produce the most customers for a company's brands differ in requirements and susceptibilities from the segments which produce the largest number of customers for competitive brands. Third point, traditional demographic methods of market segmentation do not usually provide this knowledge. Analysis of market segments by age, sex, geography, and income level are not likely to provide as much direction for marketing strategy as management requires. Once the marketing director does discover the most pragmatically useful way of segmenting his market, it becomes a new standard for almost all his evaluations. He'll use it to appraise competitive strengths and vulnerabilities, to plan his product line, to determine his advertising and selling strategy, and to set precise marketing objectives against which performance can later be measured. Specifically, segmentation is key. Now, when you think about that, that's from all the way back in 1964 in a Harvard Business Review article. And it's telling you what we say at this workshop. When we challenge CEOs, CFOs, and COOs in these workshops, to look at their segments and have at least five different variables. When we say that, people go, what? And they get through the first, second, and third pretty easily, and they struggle to come up with a fourth variable. But if you're not segmenting your target audiences by at least five unique variables, you're missing opportunities. You need to do the real drill down and then develop creative marketing solutions tailored to each segment. In other words, you need to make sure your no BS marketing hits the bullseye. Our guest today is Rick Irwin, the CEO of IntegraCare Corporation, a senior assisted living company that operates 11 communities in Pennsylvania, Maryland, and Virginia. IntegraCare focuses on improving the lives of employees because they'll improve the lives of residents and the residents' families. 
In episode one, Rick and I talked a lot about mission statements and values and how a leader's role is to inspire people and to help them grow and how leaders behave is really important. Just the words are often what's thrown out there and there isn't the clarity around the behaviors associated with the words in your mission, vision, and values. And leaders need to bring that clarity through over-communication and through their behaviors. Then towards the end of our first part of the two parts with Rick, he started digging into how IntegraCare had to work with private equity and venture capital to get money to expand, to acquire communities that fit their profile, that fit their segmentation analysis of what they wanted to buy. He was humble and transparent in saying how in the early years, he and Lorianne Poutier, his partner, weren't great at that yet. And so they went through a lot of iterations of how they were going to do that with private equity companies. And that brings us to part two, where Rick can tell us more about that, their relationships to get that financing, and then what kind of communities they do purchase, and some of the success stories and how they got there through leadership and communication. Rick, welcome back to part two. Thanks, Dave. Let's have at it then. Start talking a little bit about the, uh, once you get the financing, how do you decide which properties to to purchase? What do you do to turn them around? We, we look for opportunities uh, to add the things that we do well. And if those things that we do well are the elements that will make the difference, then that's that's a property that we would want to move forward with. There are certain properties that no matter what we would do, no matter what our core competencies are, that's not going to fix it. So I think we start with an honest assessment of what we can and can't do, and then we try to match that to those opportunities that that need what we do. We can't fix everything, right? Of course. Um, however, like, you know, I, I really think if, if you watch uh, The Prophet or if you watch many of those other shows that turn restaurant turnaround, hotel turnaround, so many of the concepts in those shows are, are the same concepts, you know, and and I think, you know, the, the physical plant, the, the, how, how you present yourself from a marketing standpoint. But also for us, it still goes back to having the right on-site leadership. And, you know, what we've learned many times is we've always tried to maintain the leadership that's been there. However, we found that most of the time that leadership, even though those properties are many times in bankruptcy – that leadership fails to see that things have to change in order for the, the business to be successful. They, they are in denial. Uh, and I think, you know, all of us to some degree are in denial about certain things. It's hardest to not be in denial about your own personal weaknesses as a leader. We all think we're great leaders, right? We all think we're great employers, you know, you can go to the crummiest business uh, run by the biggest knucklehead and you ask him, if he'll tell you, all my people love me. <laughs> you know, in the meantime, they hate him. So the, the, the real issue is we have failed all the time by trying to keep the existing leader in place. 
And we still would do that. We still would give people a chance, but we would be quicker to make the change when they not only don't embrace the turnaround uh, efforts, but to actually try to undermine them, which is generally the case. So because, because it's only human nature. If somebody comes in, you're running the business in order, you have to admit that you've been running it poorly, right? To accept all the changes that need to be made that a, that a professional management will come in and ask. Well, it's just very hard for us as human beings to just go, yeah, I was screwing that thing up. This is a better way. You know, who has enough character to do that? We haven't run into that person yet uh, that, that would, would make that confession, so to speak. So uh, many times when, you know, we, these, these communities have, you know, 60 to 100 and some employees and initially there's a, there's a pushback and we must earn their trust. Uh, we must, and, and after time, uh, they see that we're there to help. We're not there to oversee. We're not there to pick, uh, uh, you know, at, at, and criticize. We're really there to add resources, reposition, give them the tools they need to be successful, and, and therefore make their jobs better. And so that generally takes a year, a year and a half. It is, it's, this is not an overnight thing because when you are, uh, you know, leading a business that's sort of abrupt, uh, the abrupt change, many times those existing leaders uh, have a, a, a management style that, that sort of, you know, I'm protecting you against the new company. Uh, you know, they want to fire you, but you be loyal to me. Those, those stories are told <coughs> a lot where that undermines everything we're trying to do. And so, you know, we've had, uh, we, we, uh, we have had no success in, in uh, keeping existing management. You know, I would, would hate to say that you'll never have success in doing that, but uh, at least so far and probably the 15 or so we've done, we, we have not had success. You mentioned you learned from that experience. Did you used to try to go through square peg, round hole, banging your head against the wall, whatever cliche for a year, year and a half with that person, and now you realize you're know, going to lay out the terms and say, let's get this going. If you're with us, great. If you succeed, great. And you, you end up exiting them in 90 to 100 days now. Is it something like that? Or Yeah, I w it's longer than that, but... But yes, we, we would, we would hang too long. There's no question. Um, and we would, you know, have those discussions and the person would agree, you know, the person's not going to disagree, right? These are, these are remote locations. So we go back to the home office and, and that person's in charge and that, and that person's telling all the staff, uh, either they, they could be spinning the story wrong to the staff, undermining the, our company and our company's values. And that does, that is the common situation that happens where they are just, you know, when we would go to implement our policies and procedures, they push back. Meaning, I would say the consistent uh, quality of these properties that are not performing is the lack of systems, policies, procedures, accountability, and transparent management. So, when when we arrive, we're putting all these systems in, 
And these are reporting systems, basically, on resident care, on sales efforts, on cost control, on, on human resources costs. And many times, we're coming there and raising salaries also. Because these properties are in financial distress, they can't. And, and we're able to do that, which is a positive, right? But even under those cases when we're doing that, especially to the department heads, those systems are intimidating. Generally, in these, these non-performing properties, they've just run their own. They don't have to adhere to a budget. They just spend whatever is needed. If the money's not there, they don't spend it. And, and now when you have consistent controls on the sales effort, on the marketing effort, on the labor costs, on the physical plant uh, management and quality standards. For people who have never worked with those, that's intimidating and the accountability goes way up. Systems and processes are one of the three or four major things of, of any company and any, any leader. So I can see that happening where you come in and you're communicating. And I've seen this because I've helped with this from time to time where you come into the new property and you're focused on the internal communication, focused on the employee meetings, focused on having your regional leadership team. You have regional leaders in each of the main disciplines coming down and spending time. Uh, you and Lorianne spend time. So you're saying during that process, you're getting the word out and some people are on the fence, some people kind of get on board and some are naysayers. And then sometimes existing management ends up not helping with that communication, sometimes even thwarting it. Right. Existing management undermines it. Uh, you know, don't listen to that. I mean, we've had the quotes. You know, there are always those employees that embrace what we're trying to do and they see the counterproductiveness of the, 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 uh, uh, the management, the, you know, management, the legacy management yes. that we've inherited. Um, and they will tell, they will tell us, they will say, no, after, right after you left, we were told just to forget all that stuff. And so it's just a very predictable thing, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, it, it goes, it goes to also the families of our customers. What are they being told? And so we now have direct family meetings. We have, you know, so that they can hear and see us and ask us questions. And uh, we've just found that it's most effective. But to your point, we, 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 had, we have suffered and had not only our, our investors suffer, but our, the other team members on site that we inherited suffer from the lack of cohesion and camaraderie between the company and the management on site. Who suffers the most from that dysfunction? It's the existing staff who are just there trying to do their job and take care of residents and the residents themselves. And so it's really our accountability when that happens to get the right management in place so that that doesn't continue. An OBS show is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash OBS. Try a book like The Fifth Discipline, The Art and Practice of the Learning Organization by Peter Senge. Lorianne definitely read that book. I'm certain of it. You can download it for free today. Go to audibletrial.com slash OBS. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash OBS for your free audiobook. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, 
or MP3 player, a key point here, you're talking about how uh, when you take over and hope to fix a near bankrupt or in bankruptcy or a very distressed senior living community, it's not as much the everyday employees that are the challenge as the existing management is. That, that's right. That's right. So you come in and talk to the existing management, talk to existing employees, do a whole lot of communications, attempt to over-communicate. You're being thwarted by a manager or management team that doesn't quite understand that they were in this distressed status, so the way they were doing it couldn't be possibly right. And so they have to be educated and changed or exited out. Right. And it's it just starts generally with the executive director – um, and many times in that distress situation, the employees are getting paid regularly, just like they are, have been paid, um, when, a, when the property, if the, when a property performs, it's just that the existing lenders and or investors have to write the checks to keep the payroll as opposed to the rev- 